right to be here with all of you. And so I want to share some thoughts on the practice of metta or in later sense thoughts regarding the Dhamma, the practice of Dhamma. And I want to start with this saying or these words that somebody else composed. I don't know from whom they are, but it goes like this. Treat everyone with kindness, even though they are rude to you. Not because they are not nice, but because you are nice. I repeat it. Treat everyone with kindness, even those... No, sorry. Treat everyone with kindness, even those who are rude to you. Not because they are not nice, but because you are nice. And so this actually just um, manifests the quality of man. Now, even those who are rude to you, when they are not nice to you, you can be kind. You can treat them kindly. So this is the unconditional benevolence, the unconditional love of metta not bound to any conditions. You know, we don't need other people to be nice and friendly to us in order to be nice and friendly to them. But when our heart is filled with metta, with this benevolent attitude, then even though others are rude to us, not nice, we still can treat them nicely. That's the expression of metta. That's the manifestation of metta. Right now, I would like, like to say something that, you know, connects to a question that was asked yesterday or the day before about, you know, is it possible to cultivate metta for a person who has died? And Ayaviranyani has already told that, yeah, you know, for systematic practice of metta, one should not choose a person who has already died. You know, this is said in the Visuddhimagga, where the systematic of metta is outlined. And there it says, states very clearly, don't choose a person who has died as the object for your metta meditation. But this is specifically meant for the practice of metta meditation as a samatha meditation, when you want to attain deep states of concentration with the practice of metta. You know, besides of cultivating the quality of metta, then also attain deep states of concentration or attaining the jhanas. So, Specifically for this kind or this approach to the metta practice, the person should be a living person right now or being. And to illustrate this point, there is this story in the Misudi Maga, which goes like this. So at one time, there was a certain monk who engaged in the practice of metta meditation and choosing a benefactor, he chose his preceptor, meaning choosing that monk who had ordained him as a monk. But when he was engaging in the metta practice, he was staying in a different monastery 
with a different teacher or abbot. And so, you know, he's started to cultivate metta for this preceptor. And before his practice had been going quite well, you know, the mind was calming down. He was uh, deepening his concentration. But then with his preceptor as the object of his metta meditation, uh, he simply could not attain a deep state of concentration. And so he went to the abbot of the monastery where he was staying, teacher told him what was happening. And so that abbot uh, simply told him, go and find your preceptor. In other words, go and see if the preceptor is still alive. So this monk then walked to the place where his preceptor um, was living in that monastery. But then when he arrived at that monastery and asked um, where his preceptor was, the monks in the monastery told him that his preceptor had died. And so with that news, he went back to the present monastery and told his teacher. And so then he said, okay, then choose a different uh, benefactor as the object of your metta meditation and explained to him that because his preceptor had passed away, he was not able to attain a deep state of concentration. You know, I have heard this story be told many times by our teacher, Sayadaw O Indaka. And sometimes, you know, I think, well, these stories from the Visuddhimagga from so long ago, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it was just something made up to illustrate this point. But now recently, I heard from a present day practitioner and teacher something similar. Like Shaila Catherine, she is an American uh, practitioner, meditation teacher, and she has written a couple of books. And she also focuses on the practice of the jhanas, samatha meditation, attaining deep states of concentration. And so apparently at one stage, she was staying in Thailand in a monastery and practicing metta meditation to cultivate the metta, but also to attain deep states of concentration, the jhanas. And it was more or less a self-retreat, but like once a week or so, she had an interview with one of her teachers per telephone. That teacher was not in the monastery where she was uh, practicing. And so, you know, and she had practiced metta meditation before. She was well versed in that practice. And so, as before, she chose one of her former teachers as a benefactor. And before, when she had been cultivating metta for that teacher, that benefactor, you know, the metta was very strong, concentration very deep, attaining jhana. But now, this time, she struggled. You know, it was like, well, I must say, first, um, for a number of days, it went as usual, it went very well, deep concentration, strong metta for that teacher. But then she said, uh, one day, as she was cultivating the metta for that benefactor, all of a sudden, it was like a plug was pulled out and all the energy um, 
disappeared, the metta was not really there anymore, the concentration was not deep anymore, and you know, she tried and tried and tried, but still, you know, she, it was like, yeah, the plug had been pulled out. The whole energy, the metta uh, energy quality was missing. She found it a bit strange. A few days later, we had her call with another teacher, with that teacher, whom she, you know, was now practicing with. And it was like that teacher told her, ah, by the way, do you, you know, I have to tell you, your other teacher um, has died a few days ago. And it turned out exactly on that day when her metta meditation practice was not going well anymore, when she felt like this plug had been pulled out, it was on exactly that day that her teacher, whom she took as a benefactor for her practice, had died. So, you know, Shaila, Catherine, she had this experience, you know, with what can happen if one takes a person who has died as one's object for one's um, metta meditation. But, you know, this doesn't mean that one cannot cultivate metta for a person who has passed away. If we are just practicing in a general way, um, you know, for example, if we cultivate metta for all beings, we can uh, include that person who has passed away because that person, most likely, if that person is not an arahant, has been reborn somewhere as a living being. And so included in all living beings is that person who was maybe our father or aunt or friend um, before. So in this way, it's possible to cultivate metta for a person who has passed away. Or even if we want to do it more specific, like saying, um, you know, may this, may, may my friend uh, who has passed away recently, wherever she or he is right now, be happy and well. But, you know, with this, we cannot expect to attain deep concentration or get a very strong or pronounced um, quality of metta. But, you know, it's still good to cultivate metta for these beings, people, persons, or beings who have passed away. <clears throat> then another point I want to highlight a little bit is the practice of walking meditation. You know, our practice includes formal sitting meditation, formal walking meditation, also be formal standing meditation or formal lying down meditation. These are the four postures that the Buddha mentioned in which we can practice. And so, you know, meditation or bhavana, the cultivation of heart and mind, can be done in any of these four postures or, you know, combination of postures. So the cultivation does not depend on a certain posture. It's not like that the sitting is more conducive to insights or concentration. It's just one possible posture. And, you know, as you know, walking meditation as a formal practice is practiced in Vipassana meditation. We can use it for our metta meditation. 
And one time the Buddha uh, gave a discourse mentioning five benefits that can be gained from the practice of walking meditation. I want just to briefly mention these five benefits. The first one is practicing walking meditation enables one to walk long distances. We must know that at the time of the Buddha, they didn't have cars or trains or aeroplanes to travel from one place to another. The Buddha and people, they walked. And if we look at the map where the Buddha had been during his life, it's huge distances across the northern Indian plain. So that's one benefit. A second benefit derived from walking meditation is it creates energy. It arouses energy. And that's why, you know, we often say if you feel drowsy in the sitting meditation, like energy, and after dealing with it in various ways, maybe it's better to get up and practice walking meditation. Maybe not the slowest <clears throat> walking meditation, but you know, maybe a bit faster. <clears throat> and that really creates energy, wakes you up. The third benefit the Buddha mentioned is, it's good for your health in a very general way. And the fourth benefit, uh, also a health benefit, it, um, it helps uh, your digestion, which is not to neglect because we know for ourselves how it is when we suffer from indigestion. And then the fifth benefit is what I think a very interesting one. It says that um, a benefit from doing the walking meditation is that it creates a long-lasting concentration. You know, it's because it's a bit more difficult to, um, to attain a good state of concentration in walking, but once uh, the mind gets concentrated in the walking meditation, this concentration then lasts quite long. And so this can be really felt when after a walking meditation, one goes and does a sitting meditation. So the, the concentration from the walking meditation, taking it over into the sitting, then, you know, already at the beginning of the sitting, one feels much more concentrated and this concentration will last into the sitting and then we can even further deepen it in the sitting meditation. And that's actually a benefit or actually all of the five benefits I've really experienced myself. But the one about the long lasting concentration, very conducive for the following sitting meditation is something that I really came to appreciate in my years of practice at the meditation center in Burma. And one Burmese master, not my teacher, it has been a teacher of Ayaviranyani, Sayado Upandita, he has said, a yogi, a meditator who, you know, just starts with doing sitting meditation is like somebody who wants to start a car with a rundown battery. So, and this is also my teacher repeatedly said, you know, whenever you start kind of a formal set of walking sitting, always start with the walking. It's like, yeah, it creates energy, it recharges the battery, it establishes a long lasting concentration. And so then when you go into the sitting, 
the battery is charged and you get all the benefits uh, from this. <clears throat> and what I also found very helpful in regards to the walking meditation practice is the fact that it acts as a bridge into our day-to-day -day life or you know, integrating one's practice <clears throat> into our daily life. You know, whether it's from the Vipassana meditation or whether it's from the Metta meditation, when we have been cultivating either mindfulness or Metta in walking, in formal walking meditation practice, then it's much easier to integrate the walking into our day-to-day -day lives. You know, then when we walk uh, to the bus stop or when we walk down the hallway to the toilet, you know, then we can either do metta walking meditation or vipassana walking meditation. You know, so each time we walk, we can remember, ah, we could use this for cultivating metta. And in our day-to-day -day life, we walk quite a bit, at least most of us. So with this, I want to close the reflections for today. And before going into our silent metta meditation, I want to say <clears throat> a few words on how we proceed because today we are changing the category. We move to the category of the dear person or the close friend. So that means choosing a person whom we consider to be a close friend, somebody we feel very close to, a good friend, or a person who is very dear to us. That could also be a member of our family, maybe a sibling, or we have a very close relationship to our grandchild or to our mother. So whoever that is. You know, at first sight, it might seem not so difficult to cultivate metaphor a dear person or a close friend. But here we must watch out for any attachment that could be there. And also the fact that we know this person very well means, you know, we know about this person's life situation. We know whether she's healthy or sick or has any financial problems or is going through a divorce or facing other problems. <clears throat> and so knowing, you know, the difficulty or the problem or the pain in this person's life, that could be a bit challenging because instead of metta, that might arouse sadness or grief or aversion, whatever. So that's why I suggest that for now, uh, today, pick a person who is dear to you, a close friend, but who is doing relatively well in their life, not facing big challenges anyway. That makes it easier to cultivate metta for this dear friend. So then let's settle into our posture. Take a few moments to feel your body as it is sitting here. The eyes can be gently closed. 
or a little bit open. Bring the awareness to the heart area, the heart space. And let's begin with the cultivation of loving kindness with an easy person that can be either yourself or your benefactor. So, if it has been easier for you to cultivate metta for yourself, then start with yourself. If it's easier for you to cultivate metta for the benefactor, then start now with the benefactor. You just do it for a few moments in order to establish metta. Pick your metta phrase and start to gently, softly repeat this wish.
And now take a few moments to choose a dear person. A person you feel close to, a good friend or a dear person from your family. Bring this person up in your mind. Can be just the felt sense of this person or it can be a mental image of this person or it can be remembering a situation during which you were together with this person. And then you can make the bridge like in the same way as I wish my benefactor to be well, happy and peaceful, I wish my dear friend to be well, happy and peaceful. And then continue to cultivate metta for the dear friend. May my dear friend be well, happy and peaceful. Or may Beatrice be well, happy and peaceful. And so on. With your wish, with your phrase, continue to cultivate this benevolent, friendly, loving attitude in yourself towards this person. by gently repeating this wish again and again and again.
we will end this sitting meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.